Welcome back to another episode of Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Ken. I'm Michelle. And we're about to jump right into another episode of Queer Smoke. We're at episode 404 today. And, um, yeah. Girl, a lot. Yeah. Okay. A lot. <laughs> like, wow. This season, again, already off the rip. It's not disappointing. Yeah. I mean, girl. It's so good, but it's so challenging. Yeah. And like, it's good in a different way. Like, this is making me think, and this is making me really have to work hard. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just, it's bringing emotions that I, for mm-hmm. characters that I didn't think I would have those yeah. type of emotions for, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's making me re-love or unlove some people Yeah, right and it's really like, making me, like, interact with some inner dialogue right. that you usually try to put off and have some like very important conversations with yourself that you don't really want to have and, and from so far where we are like you said before um it makes you think it literally makes you have these uncomfortable conversations i mean i love how they're facing everything head on and they're not veering away they're not shying away at all we're gonna face this and we're gonna have these conversations yeah yeah i know I got a feeling you're going to do a little something, so I'm going to keep my boxing gloves close. Yeah, you better ready. You better be ready, because I told you already. I got them close, yeah. I'm going to need you. All right, well, let's get to it. So we start with Justin and Brian walking into the new Kinetic, and it's coming along. Oh, my God, it's so damn cute. Yeah. Brian, Brian did the thing. I didn't know what he was going to do with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was a, a nice space. But uh, I was thinking, like, how is he going to, like, bring this together and make yeah. this, like, a, a true legitimate business? An office working space, and he did that. It's, yeah. it's gorge. I'm like, wow. And, and it's not. It's still in progress, right. but it's clear to see like there's some elements that they're keeping. You and can see his vision. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, but it is. He's bringing in a lot of new, a lot of what is kinetic, but mm-hmm. keeping some of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what well, just makes that a bath a bathhouse? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be Brian. If um, he didn't. yeah. Uh, so Justin says the last time he was there, it was no towels night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> apparently, the guys were pretty handsy with Brian that night, but Justin was the only lucky winner. How funny! We find out that the old steam room, which was the first place that uh, Brian and Justin ever hooked up in public, um, is Brian's office. Coincidence? Yeah, um, no. Brian knew what he was doing there. He's <laughs> yeah. gonna cherish that memory ever. Forever. Yeah, yeah, because it has a lot of history for Brian, obviously, right. but also it has a lot of history for the two of the, them. Both of them, and he's gonna spend a lot of time there getting his company started. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just you and know, the, it, it's probably really interesting for him to get to create in his element right. like that too. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so. That's got to be a little sacred little space for him. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of nights. Yeah, well, you know, I won't I, say lonely nights, but a lot, a lot of nights. Yeah, uh, I love all of the unconventional elements of their relationship. Like, you know, get a, definitely not in the early two thousands. There were not a lot of unconventional relationships right. on TV, and with the two of them, you get so used to what is their normal that right. you forget that that's really not normal. I know because <laughs> well, actually, I love that it's it's their normal yeah. because for what TV always shows us is. Not really what's it's it's too cookie cutter. That's mm-hmm. not life. I mm-hmm. mean, for some people it is, but a lot of people it isn't. And I don't I can't relate always a hundred percent to what, you know, the big main networks are putting out there. So right. I love this. Like it opened my eyes to a different perspective. Like, mm-hmm. wow. Okay, you don't have to be in an old fashioned traditional relationship. Right. You can make this work. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we find out that Kinetic is open for business and that Cynthia did report for duty. She meant what she said. That part. And she said what she meant. Steal that account and steal your assistant. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I know. I said, oh, my God, I'm about to cry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she tells him that Brown Athletics uh, wants to meet with Kinetic. They hate what Vanguard did to their account. Mm -hmm. He told. All the talent is gone from Vanguard. That's why. 
And I love this flex from Brian. He's like, yeah, you can make him squirm. I'll call him tomorrow. That part, okay. <laughs> now, he needs all of these accounts. He does, but, but sometimes yeah. you got to play hard to get. That's right. I tried to get you when the getting was good. Yeah, you don't want to appear desperate because then they'll no. ball you. So. Exactly. Nope, nope, nope. You need me. I need you, but I'm going to act like I don't need you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, run me the coins. Yeah. Run me my coin. He demands that Cynthia get back to work, and Justin loves it when he gets bossy. Brian asks if he wants to christen his new office because he has 15 minutes, and Justin's like, always the romantic. But, <laughs> but he's got a strategy meeting with the posse. So With the posse. I love how you just shorten it right there. Yeah. You know, like, baby, I'm busy today. I have, you know, a meeting with the, the posse. Yeah. Like, get out of here, Justin, <laughs> and stop playing with me. Uh, all right. So um, Michael and Ben are filling out paperwork for fostering. And that was probably a condition of the judge's order. Right. Like, Hunter can live there, but I'm assuming he's an unemancipated minor, and so he does need a legal guardian to be able to act on his behalf, and it makes sense that they would have to follow this path to accomplish that. And as part of the process, they may be subject to an unannounced home visit from a social worker. Right. Uh, that's, ooh. Yeah. It's terrifying, uh -huh. actually. Yeah, <laughs> like, Hunter makes a comment about a certain toy that might raise a few eyebrows. <laughs> how does Hunter know what they keep in their double-headed dildo? You, you know stop, Hunter has looked over. He has searched every inch of that yeah, apartment. He knows everything. Yes, like, damn. you know he has. Uh -huh. okay. I wonder if he even, you know, Hunter a freak. I wonder if he was, like, in there playing with this stuff. They need to boil that down. Mm, I bet maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he's, like, the way that he sees them, even if not as, like, parental figures yet. Like, he still respects them. Yeah, I feel like to some degree. Now, he'll be nosy just to see what they got going on, but I don't think he's crossing Because he never once tried to holler at either one of them. Only when it was, like, a transactional yeah, thing. Yeah, trying to be funny. And, yeah. And, and, or when he really, when he first met him, he wanted his money. But I don't think he would have done that anyway. I think he was just being an ass. Yeah. You know, yeah, but we I, know he wanted him some Brian Kenny. Now that is still to yeah. this day <laughs> would go for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Hunter does look different, though. He looks handsome and just he, much, more he's yeah. much more approachable. And I know that they all got a new style for season four, but I think Hunter finally feels stable and and safe and supported. And this is what that looks like on him. Exactly. He's carrying himself differently. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like he's not always looking over his shoulder. He feels safe. Feels at home, and he knows that they love him. Yeah. Well, Emmett comes into so they're at the diner working on this stuff. Well, Emmett comes in, and he's got a little arm candy with him, and he's been out all night because he can't really bring any company back to Melanie and Lindsay's <laughs> house, and uh, so he's got no place to entertain. Well, Hunter has a few suggestions. He says <laughs> doorways, back alleys, under park trucks, <laughs> under park trucks. That's on the bucket list, okay? <laughs> Under the parked trucks. Yeah. Well, Emmett and Gordon, no, Jordan, tried a cemetery instead. That's where they, they ended up. Well, they said it's after midnight, okay? That's what Michael say. <laughs> Girl, uh-uh, I don't know. That, that's that's doing a bit much right there. Yeah, the, the cemetery is a yeah. little too far? Yeah. Just lay down right next to Aunt Betty. She, she ain't gonna know nothing. <laughs> no. It's been years. She'll probably enjoy the show. Yeah. But no. Yeah, I mean, I ain't going to shame anybody's kink, but that, uh, yeah, anyway. That's a bit bit much. <laughs> yeah, well, Debbie comes in with a basket of laundry for Ben, Michael, and Hunter. And I have very many questions about this. I'll start with, why are you delivering my laundry at the at diner? The, at the diner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, she said she had trouble with one particular pair of tidy whities <laughs> And she said she put his bins out there. She said he had skid marks. Yeah, I hope he was uh, that... I hope that Debbie was just joking about that. Well, she held them up for everybody to see. She sure Although did. they were clean, they she still were held clean. them up. Yeah. Um, poor Hunter. But did, we did say last episode that he was going to bear the brunt of Debbie's smothering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Michael tells Debbie that she doesn't have to do their laundry and cook dinner for them every night or grout their tiles. And she's like, oh, I want to. I love it. I don't do it because I have to. I want to. I told y'all when Vic moved, I feel bad for Michael. Yeah. I mean, like, she hasn't let up. Like, girl, you're doing the laundry. You're smothering your clothes. Well, you know what? I will let her do the cleaning. You yeah. Know, I, I you can let do her, the cleaning. You I will can do let the her cooking do and the cleaning. Yeah, yeah. Man, you could do that. But we don't even know if her cooking is any good. I know they do it once a week over at her house, but we yeah. don't know if it's any good. I don't so. know. What would you guess? I mean, to be honest, I mean, Debbie, I think she can throw it down. For real, for real. I think it's at least average. Yeah. At for, the very least. Yeah, I mean, well, she's been in the diner for forever in a day. I mean, she got to have something. Yeah. You know, she got to be able to do a little something, something. <laughs> um, so that's how she's been filling her time, uh, by filling their space and schedule with her presence. She notices that Emmett has some grass stains on his knees. And <laughs> she tells him he can give her uh, his pants and she'll she'll wash those up for him. Oh, my God. Why are you calling everybody out like that, yeah. too? But my thing, young Emmett, you on your knees in the cemetery? What's up with the grass stains, babe? Well, he had no place else to go. Girl, so. he could have went to the other bathhouse or something. Yeah, so something I noticed in this scene is Michael, he still holds his spoon like Girl. in a fist grip. You why? Know? I know. Well, Hal Sparks talks about why he chose to do that with that character. And we talked about this, like, maybe in season one. And he said it's something about, like, delayed adolescence or something like there's a part of Michael that's always got a kind of a kid. Who mm. always, you know? And so what I saw just seeing it in this scene, like, yes, he's growing up in a lot of ways, but there's still some things about his personality that he's always going to be like a kid in right. some ways. Um, yeah. Or, oh, that fits Michael for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does. That's why he still, still allows Debbie to run his life the way he does. Yeah. It's hard for him to step up and put his foot down. And then also he lets, I ain't going to say all, but some of his friends run over him, you know? Mm-hmm. And even when he was in a relationship. Or that he gets possessive and territorial yeah, exactly. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely can I can see that and I agree with that as well. But it still drives me insane to see yeah. that man hold that spoon <laughs> or a fork like that. Yeah, you would think that Ben would have trained him yeah. out of that, but no. Uh, over at the boxing gym, Cody and Justin are there, and Cody is giving Justin some lessons. Other posse members are watching them like she cute, but she crazy. That part, but that's what I was saying though. Like, listen, bro. Y'all supposed to be helping the community. Now you out here attacking people. Why are you trained up to be the next Muhammad Ali? Right. What is going on out here? This is this has moved very far. Yeah, from, way mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, one guy says that. I thought we were supposed to be protecting people and not training to be an elite killing squad. Yeah. And Cody says, well, we need to be able to stop trouble before it starts. And Justin adds, we have to find them before they find us. No. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that's not it. You do not have to find them before they find you because how can you even pick apart the good and the bad people just by looking? Just because you kiss and somebody don't agree to that, that makes them horrible. Right. You know, I mean, not, okay, it, it makes them horrible. But it, right. it, 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 it but doesn't mean... But not every homophobe is violent. Right, exactly. It doesn't mean you have to go and beat them up, mm-hmm. you know, like or, or, or go start some shit. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not starting no shit with nobody. So, I mean, there's no need for you just... Mm-hmm. Just don't go and start it. Now you told you gotta go look for them. Yeah. No, nah, it ain't. It ain't the well, way. that's what the guys outside the ring are saying. Like this is not what we signed up for, and that's really not the idea that Cody sold them. I'm like, yeah, he was talking about prote- protecting the streets and defending the streets, but it was more so like if they come over here, then we're gonna stop anything that they try to do. And they were down with that. They knew there might be, you know, right. some physical stuff exactly. involved, but this is different. But now you leave an avenue. Mm-hmm. You're going out here antagonizing people. Right. No. And our goal is not to put people in the hospital. It's just like to get them to leave and go yeah. away. Yeah, and, leave us and alone. respect us and, you know, give us the same rights that everybody else has. But nah. Yeah. You're well, not going to get that type of respect on the path that you're on, Cody. Yeah. Well, Cody says we don't need to wait around for the next person to get bashed. We need to show them that we're not afraid. And it's like, 
I get again. I keep saying I know what you're trying to do, but the way you're doing it, it's, yeah, you missing. I got questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was girl, I was so down for the posse. Like hell, I want to mm-hmm. join the posse. I was so down for the posse, but then I see the way the posse is going, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, nah, I'll really be with the pink possums <laughs> than the pink posse. <laughs> yeah, it's like. And I do get what leads people to go down this path that Cody is going down. Like I do, I do get that. But yeah, um, well, Justin and Cody will have to show them alone because everyone else is out. Like they're like, nah, I'm done on this. Yo, they step real quick. Yeah, because the mission has morphed, and they are not down with the new direction. They're mm-hmm. not heading down that road with him. And Cody says they don't need them. I was like, Justin, why are you not grabbing your bags? That's yeah. what I was thinking. Like, um, baby, get about that ring. Yeah. Let's get your bag. Let's go home because Brian was right. So let's go. Yeah. Let's go right now. Maybe maybe next episode. I'm going to dig a little deeper into Cody because if I don't, I think I'll be tempted to just triage his character in, into like the discard pile. Right. Yeah. Like, well, just I'm already discarding him. him right now. So you, you bring me back out of the discard pile. Yeah. Man. I'm not going to try to make anybody love him. But for me, I want to try to understand a little bit more about him. And I have some ideas, but. We'll deal with he that He has later. so much potential because those eyes, they yeah. look right through my she soul. She is cute. But, She's so little. But she is crazy. Yeah, crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, well, Melanie and Lindsay have some friends over for dinner, and it's actually Mel's clients, uh, Jeanette and her wife, Anna. And um, they're asking how old Gus is. And Lindsay says, mm, about three, because she's just as unsure about how much time has passed since the pilot as I am. Right. <laughs> but but um, so anyway, these two ladies... <laughs> They're, the situation with them, remember, is one of them was married to an abusive alcoholic, right. and she left him, fell in love with a woman, and then the abusive ex-husband sued for custody and was awarded the child right. or children. Um, so that's the situation with them. And so they're just kind of talking about, this is how it's going. We're going to work really hard to get you your child back. I thought we settled this case already. Like, um I mean, Mel was originally on it. Lindsay didn't want her on it because she was getting stressed out. And she was, you know, like fainting and the baby was having issues and things. And I thought they snatched the case from her because she was doing too much workload. And now she's back on the, the same case. Yeah, because, see, I feel like they got approval to have it heard at, like, maybe an appellate uh, okay, court okay. or something. And so it. that's where they're at right now. Got it. I okay. could be misremembering, but I think that's what it is. So it never got, they didn't get a decision. They just got the, because she was like, this is going to be a landmark case. That's why I right. want to keep it. Exactly. And so she... Is still working on it, but they haven't gone to trial yet. I love that she's so passionate about it because mm-hmm. it's, it's so close to home for her. Yeah. I think she's on the right road. Mm-hmm. I just want her to, you know, be careful, make sure she has everything right. Because this is one of those pivotal cases that's going to affect every, it could affect everyone right. moving forward, you know. Yeah, a lot of families down yeah. the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, over at Michael and Ben's place, Michael is beautifying the table in his apartment. And uh, his flower arrangement gene is recessive, but luckily Ben's is dominant. Yeah, because, I mean, those flowers looking sad. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's nervous about the social worker thing. So he's doing all these little things here and there to make the place look nice because he says what Melanie told them is that gay parents have to be better than straight parents. And definitely in a situation like this, when it's like the foster system and all that, like... Yeah. Yeah, you know they make you jump through all type of hoops. Mm-hmm. He just want everything perfect. He want to make sure that Hunter is getting the right type of life that he deserves. Right. Because it sounds like from from you know his birth, 
he was put into crazy situations like his right. parents, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a healthy that situation. That was very volatile yeah. situation. Yeah. It wasn't healthy at all for him. And then at the age of 12, been put out on the street to work corners and stuff yeah. um, to help the family. And then you know, clearly we know, you know, what happened to him out on the corners and stuff. Right. Beating up, selling his body to older men. I mean, just not what a teenager should have to go through. Yeah. So, I mean, Michael wants to be perfect. He wants to be wants to be that role model or that father figure for Hunter, you know, yeah. to give him that safe um, safe place and space um, to really grow into who he should have been able to grow into. Yeah. And I think he's trying to do everything he can to eliminate anything that would prevent them yeah. from being able to provide that. Cause you know, they are already going to send you through the, um, through the ringer, you know, with them being gay. Yeah. So. Well then Hunter comes walking through and just as tidy white is like, no Hunter, well, you cannot walk around like that. <laughs> I was like, put some damn clothes on. You make me feel uncomfortable. Good dress. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a knock at the door. I'm thinking, Oh gosh, no. But it's Debbie, and she brought dinner. Never mind that Ben made soy loaf, mashed turnips, and carrot coulis. Like, okay, throw that shit away. Real, I would take whatever Debbie brought. <laughs> Debbie, thank you. <laughs> Trash that even shit. Even if it is average Italian food. I know. I'm going to take it because yeah. I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. You know what you didn't cook, Ben? Like, I mean, I'm, oh, no. He was vegan and everything before it was even popular to be Yeah, he sure was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back at the loft, Brian and Justin are engaging in some nightly activities, and there seems to be a disagreement about who's doing what. Like, Justin tells Brian that it's his turn tonight, and Brian says, well, that's what you think. Right. And they keep, like, flipping each other over, and, and it kind of looks, it's, yeah, it's playful, but, but it's also, got, yeah, very aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is could be cute, too. You yeah. Know? Like, you know, being aggressive. Some people like to be dominated, you know. And uh, it could be real cute, you know, real cute the way they were doing it. And then what made it super cute is that it was Justin doing it. Right. It's like, oh, okay, now you're getting, you're getting a little, okay, I see you, baby, yeah. the posse doing this for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me see what you got. Let me flip you over and see what you got over Yeah, here. but I think it was this weird, because you look at Brian's face and he's, and he's like, like, confused, if, like yeah, playing. Yeah, because he's like, are we playing? Are we not playing? Because, yeah, he's playing. Yeah. And he's like, okay, but. Justin's face, you couldn't tell. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't tell. And then he he's looking, the way he's flipping him. He he's doing it with a lot of force, so right. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure like they ain't strangers to roughhousing, right. but it's just something different about this to where Brian is kind of questioning it a little bit. Hell, I was questioning it. I was yeah. like, um, okay, I think it is playful, but then they continue. Mm-hmm. Well, Justin says, well, let's fight for it, and Brian is not interested in that. He's like, just get back in the bed. Like, yeah. Um, and. And Justin's like, what, are you scared? He's like, no, I'm not scared. He just, I think he just doesn't want to feed into whatever yeah. this is. He Mm-mm. doesn't want to feed into that. Because he already knows that it's, something is going on. Like, he already knows where this is going to go. It's going to end up with them talking about the posse or Cody or self He knows it's got like, something to do with yeah, that. Because uh-huh. you're just acting weird in a way that you're not acting Right, before. this is not you. Mm-hmm. And he knows what he's been doing out on, on his patrol duties. Right. So, yeah. Uh, well, it, it starts out and it's kind of fun and silly at first. But then, and so Brian uses it as an opportunity to ask Justin, okay, where'd you learn to fight? Because he knows that Justin is like a lit fuse when it comes to being questioned about Mm -hmm. his pink posse activities. And so he can't just ask him directly. So he's just kind of slipping in questions while they're doing this. And it's all going fine. But then Justin like pops Brian in the face. I was like, hold up. Yeah. And the first time was kind of lightly, but then again, not so lightly. And so Brian hits him back just as hard, if not harder. And... It seems like it's over and Justin's retreating and Brian's like, be careful, Sonny, you might get hurt. But Justin <laughs> just uses that as a trick to then right. throw him in the headlock. Yeah, <laughs> throw him on the ground. And Justin says he doesn't care if he get if he gets hurt as long as he hurts them more. Well, that's not what Brian wants to hear. No, not at all. I was like, sex would have been over. Like, yeah, been well, done. yeah, Brian tells him they're not 
all bad. Like talking about these straight people, like they're not all, they're not all bad. They're not all that way. And Justin says, well, that's a laugh coming from you. You're the biggest heterophobe of all time. And he says, you always told me that there are only two kinds of straight people in the world. The ones who hate you to your face and the ones who hate you behind your back. And it looks like Brian finally has them. Pain- and they're like really struggling with each other. Like you can see their muscles mm-hmm. like bulging. And but with a bit of flair, Justin ends up on ends up on top. So. Yes. Uh, let me ask a question before we get back into that scene. Um, and for all the diners out there, too, I would love to hear your comments on this. Do you do you know any heterophobes yourself? Like, have you I've, I never heard that term until until this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brian did say those words. Yeah, he did say those words. But I me personally, I don't know any. And I would like to hear some stories about people, people who know people who are homosexual, who dislike, you know, mm-hmm. um, heterosexuals. You know, I just like to hear that story and that journey. Yeah. But um, I don't know that I know any personally. Now, I know that same idea in other contexts if it's a person who they it's more of a racial thing mm. you know and they just kind of on principle dislike anybody of a certain race right yeah you yeah, know yeah and so i know that i do know like it happens in that context right. and so i could see it happening in this context too but just, i personally don't know any it's to know, me I, I was thinking like how can you how can that happen in a straight man's world you know like i feel like we are just not getting our footing in this door like we've mm-hmm. been fighting and fighting and fighting and yes we're here yeah. But we're still not the majority, you right. know, so I don't know, like, how can you all the workplaces, you know, like they used to be able to discriminate against us because of the sexuality and things of that nature. So how can you hate the, the you know, how can you hate the straight person when you have you need them to get to right. for your living? Well, I you think know? It, and I don't think that Brian is necessarily a heterophobe. I think that's a term that he uses, but I don't think that he's necessarily like that. But it would probably look a lot. Look how Brian conducts his life and his business, right. you know, where he intentionally does things to, to like, that's what he feels is success. Right. I'm going to make more money than them. I'm going to have more fun than them. I'm going to enjoy life more than they do. And I'm going to upset all the, all the hetero guys. <laughs> you know? So that's, okay, he does yeah. live that way. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're yeah. Right. So for him, it looks like that, but yeah. Okay. Now back on scene, once Justin tells Brian, that, you know, like I just want to hurt them more or whatever the case, what do you think was going through Brian's mind? Because he didn't speak after that. Well, the only thing that, I mean, he's just seeing red flags everywhere because what he's seeing is Justin being injured. He's, yes. Like last episode, he saw that big uh, bruise on, on his back. back and mm-hmm. so his, and that's what he said. Like, okay, yeah, this time is just a bruise, but what about next time? And so I think that is his biggest fear is um, Justin being hurt and not and just worse hurt. worse than last y- time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Wor- or even well, the even same. Because yeah. that was bad, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely think that's what he's thinking about. Um, and he's still thinking, how do I? I think he's realizing now this that there's something more fundamental that, right. that's going on. Um, and it's not just about going on out on the street. And that's why he's like trying to address, OK, his principles like, hey, not all of them are bad. Like change the way you're thinking about them. So he's trying to address it from a different angle now. But still don't sound like he's making much progress not yet i mean like we said before when justin has his mindset on something justin has his mindset on something you're not gonna change it i don't know i just i bet he's thinking in my mind too like okay what's my next move what tactic can i use to get to his mind because you can't just come straight out and be like justin don't do that yeah you have to kind of like present it to him in a way where he can see it for himself and brian is always good at letting you see he'll let you do what you need to do but he's also playing chess with you every move you make he's three steps ahead of you yeah in in some ways, he hasn't quite figured out how to. I mean, he's trying everything that he's tried before, but this is a new situation. And you know, because we've seen him kind of deal with Emmett, we'll see him deal with Ted, and this one we've seen him deal with Michael. And with them, it seems like 
it's been a little bit easier for him to kind of redirect them or, or get them to come around. And so he's really having a struggle with, with Justin right now. Okay, so we'll kind of leave that bubbling, but I do have another question for okay. you. So the camera cuts out on this scene, and we go into the next one. But how do you think that scene plays out at the loft? Um, Like, how, how did it finish? Yeah. Oh, uh, Justin ended up lubing up and taking some of the candy sticks. Well, well, I don't he know. He ended up the, on top. I don't think ju- Brian gave it up. Well, the stakes were made very clear before the fight started. And I don't was think like... Brian is going to let him, uh-uh, because that's a lot of aggression. I think he's going to, you know, end up hurting something. Okay? He's going to do some beating for real. And uh, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, mm-mm. Brian ended up flipping him one last time. We didn't see that last flip. He flipped Maybe. him one last time, and he ended up on top. And he gave him some of that candy stick. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just watching this scene and watching Justin in this scene, I think there's something very addictive about all of this for Justin about this newfound power and the exploration of emotions that he's suppressed. I feel like there's something that's just very enticing about all mm-hmm. that to him. We'll talk about it some more later. Anyway, um, Melanie is up late working and Lindsay finds her and she comes in to tell her that she's so proud of her and the work that she's doing, how she's helping Jeanette get her son back. And like, she understands this is so important because Remember before, if she would have seen this, knowing that Mel is pregnant. She would have broke down, would have yeah, been so like, upset, angry. Yeah, she'd have guilt tripped her, right. all that stuff. But now she's supporting her. She knows like this is very important, not just for Melanie. But for but, like, the what culture. we were saying, for so yeah. many other other people, so many other families. And she says that Michael and Justin should create a superhero based on her. <laughs> um, and Melanie proposes that she be called Dino Dyke. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I really do want them to create that character, though. Yeah, I, think I know. They, they need to have that type of character or representation in that book as mm-hmm. well. You they know? Was, it's totally going to be in there. It needs yeah. to be. Are yeah. you telling me? Uh, are you, are you telling I mean, me? you didn't hear me say anything. <laughs> so um, so uh, over at Red Cape, Emmett is there, and he's telling Michael about his misadventures in finding a little hookup spot. <laughs> and he tried Liberty Baths. He tried the gravel pit. And uh, none of those worked out. So the guy ended up running home to his mother. And Michael says, well, maybe it's time for you to get your own place. And Emmett says, well, there are some benefits to living with lesbians. But aside from the comment about the clean sheets, it's all like backhanded compliments. That part. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Emmett is so funny. But um, why do you think he he won't just go get him a place? Why he won't just. Yeah. Well, and he talks about it some more later. But I think it's probably a little bit of fear to truly stand on your own because as independent as he is, there's still some insecure parts of Emmett and. I think it's just a little bit of fear to kind of do it, do it on his own. Emmett, he, I don't know why Emmett is the baddest out of all of them. Mm-hmm. To me, he is the one who is less fearful of anything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a go-getter. He would try anything. Uh, we only seen him down about once, and this is whole, you know, this yeah. whole Ted thing. But other than that, I mean, he's the one who's always fighting. So it's crazy to see him getting his feet um, under him again. Yeah, like, well, and because I'm guessing at this point he's got, well, I know he's got some income. Right. And so maybe it would have taken like a couple of weeks, maybe 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 in a month or two before he could go get his own he's place. He's still booking but, parties. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's still booking parties. Yeah, but I would think that Emmett would thrive living on his own. But, it, but yeah, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, well, Vic comes in and Michael notices that he's looking great and he's got an inner glow and uh, because he's alone enjoying life with the man that he loves. <laughs> well, Michael says that he didn't realize the tremendous debt he owes Uncle Vic for dealing with Debbie all those years. And he tells, Michael tells Uncle Vic that he's going to set some boundaries with Debbie. 
And I really want to see how he goes about that. I know. And like Vic told him, <laughs> baby, you're going to need more than boundaries. You're going to need border control. Yeah. Debbie, don't, <laughs> Debbie Jones doesn't even know the word boundaries. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is Debbie with boundaries. Yeah, it like, is. she hasn't moved in. Right. So. She's knocking, too. She's not just yeah. coming in, she's knocking on the door. Right. So, I mean, that's her boundary. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Well, then we see Justin and Cody at, at a bookstore. I love bookstores. I would live in one if I could. Um, and he's telling Justin that he should reread Huckleberry Finn. Did you read Huckleberry Finn? It was mandatory. You know, we all read Well, that. it was mandatory, but I didn't read it. Oh, so I read it. Yeah. I didn't. Uh-huh. It was just, I'm so surprised because I love books and I love classic books, right. but I've never read that one. Oh, well, anytime they said it was mandatory, I mean, like. I wasn't going to go out and seek the book. But when they said yeah. we had to read these books, then I read it, yeah. Yeah, I think it was on my, like, summer reading list. It was for, on the like, summer reading list. Yeah. I think it was seventh grade. Great, yeah. yeah, but I know mm-hmm. I didn't read it. I do know that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Cody tells um, Justin about Hank going against everything society and religion tells him and how Huck didn't care if he would be condemned to hell for it. Justin's kind of listening along, and then Cody's like, are you going to bail too? And Justin says, no, but I do kind of think we went too far. And so, so I'm like, there's still, Justin is still aware of, you know. He knows what's going and on. Sensibility. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Cody says, well, that guy had it coming. And Justin's like, yeah, I know. But when I was talking to Brian about it and Cody's like, what? Don't we talking to people about this? Like, this is posse business. It stays yeah. between us. Like, bro, chill out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Justin tells him, well, he's my boyfriend. Like, kind of like, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him. And he thinks what we're doing is crazy. And Cody says, well, I'll show you crazy. And so he takes him over to a church service. And the pastor is reading from Leviticus. And he says he has a message for homosexuals. And it's very uncomfortable for me to watch this for reasons that I can't fully explain. And I will make you listen to me try to work through my thoughts on that because Uh I need to sit with it for a while. But um, anyway, so that's what I talked about earlier, like this show making you look at some things. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just not easy to look at, you know. Before we started this journey, remember, I would always tell you I would go back and forth with the whole religion thing because, I mean, I'm I'm a strong believer, but I don't really necessarily like going to church because of the hypocrisy that they preach within the church. This scene right here, like, it was like my clapping, golden moment. I loved it. Like, I felt like, yes, when the preacher was going, it was very uncomfortable. And it also it sent some anger through my bones, you know, like yeah. I actually got a little angry just hearing those words. Right. And um, I don't know, like it's like it's hard to explain. Like you said, it's, it's hard to explain. But, yeah, I thought the preacher was totally out of line. You're using the words for your own weapon. You right. know, like you're not you're not spreading it how it should be. You know, you're, you're pinpointing one one issue or one thing. And then you making the whole Bible around that one issue or your whole sermon around that issue, which is actually spewing out hate to me. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Well, and it's motivating hateful actions right. from other people. And I think, you know, you can look at this episode and look at this scene and say, oh, how convenient. They went in on the night where he just happened to be preaching about homosexuality. But I think the point is what you were saying, like they have fixated on this mm-hmm. issue. This like some churches, they say they fixated on one or two issues, either this or abortion. And that's what they're always preaching about all the time. I think that was the point that we were supposed to get. From it was, this. It was because like, Cody this is the saying, one message that they keep it harping is. on. That's what it is. They keep harping on it. And like Cody said, it's his favorite. Like this mm-hmm. is the one he stays on mm-hmm. always. And it, it is. And a lot of churches are like that. Anytime I go back home and I run into any of my older cousins or uncles or something like that, 
they'll always make little comments like that. And then I have to get it to get them together real quick mm-hmm. in a respectful way. But also, I'm grown. You right. know, like, I don't need you questioning my actions. I don't need you trying to tell me what to do about my actions, things like that. Because a sin, you sin too. So yeah. I'm going to need you to get up out of my face. Yeah, well. It's... Or I, I rip you to shreds. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, even though it's, even though it's challenging and it's uncomfortable in some ways, I am glad that this was in there. And uh, you know, Justin has clearly never been to this type of Wednesday night service or Sunday night. I, I'm not even going to try to guess what day of the week it is because that's just dangerous right. territory. And uh, But anyway, he's sitting there listening to what sounds like a bunch of condemnation. And as the service ends and they're walking out, Justin tells the pastor that it was very inspiring, probably like, this is inspiring me to go yeah. attack people who think the way that the you posse is on the loose. Yeah. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. So probably not inspiring in the way that pastor thinks or hopes, but um, he really just wants to get out of there and never go back there. But Cody, of course, has a question, and you can see Justin's posture, and he's like, "Oh, here we go." Yep. And Cody goes and asks the, the pastor if you have to believe and follow every word in the book, and past, the pastor, of course, says yes. And Cody asks him if he eats shrimp. Well, he does. And Cody says, well, before you get to the man land with the man part in Leviticus, it says that you should not eat shellfish. And so Cody's point is, if the pastor can eat shrimp, then you know, we can eat some cock. That's what Cody that's says. That's what he said in the words <laughs> yeah. of Kodisha. And uh, Justin finds that very amusing. I do, too. That's yeah. what was my clapping moment. Get them together, baby. Don't don't pinpoint one thing, but then you can go out and do another because right. those are words spoken from God. Okay, yeah. that's the Old Testament right there. Okay, so. If me laying with somebody is the abomination, so are you eating that damn shrimp? Yeah, over or, there too. Or just or like working least... on the Sabbath because I know you're working mm-hmm. on. Oh, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I just that whole thing is just like I don't know. I feel like there's very quick to dismiss some arguments with that. But anyway, that's a whole another conversation that we'll have one day. Um, but anyway, the pastor tells Cody that he needs to accept Jesus. And Cody says, oh, I accept Jesus. It's people like you I have a problem with. And this is the, like, I like this. Mm-hmm. I like him doing that, that kind of That's what the down. posse is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Not going out there getting physical. You're supposed to shred them verbally. Yeah. And get them together. Like, he hit them with facts. He made him think. He made him look stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're preaching this. That's what, that's what I can get behind. Yeah, I can that's, get behind yeah, that. Yeah, I can get behind a posse like that. That's what I thought we were going to be doing when I wanted to join the posse myself. Yeah. And uh, no, y- y'all got physical with it. I can shred you with the tongue. Okay? Yeah. I got, I got a crazy tongue over here. It, can, it shreds you. Okay? Yeah. And uh, Cody does too. Get them together. Hit them with the facts. Keep and it as a, a off, debate. Leave them, yeah, with, leave them with something to think about. Walk off with your head high and you won. But as soon as you turn it to physical, baby, you lost already. Like, because <laughs> everything you're trying to teach them is gone now, you know? Yeah. Um. And so as I'm watching this, I'm thinking why, part of me is thinking, why would they even go to a church when you know what they're going to say? You know, they've been reading the same thing, preaching the same thing for all these years. Why even go there? But I do think this was important to include. He needed Justin to see. Yeah, he needed Justin to see that because Cody has already pointed out that he grew up in a Southern Baptist Mm -hmm. setting. So he's already pointed that out. But also, kind of zooming out a bit, I think it's important to note that we are dealing with at least one writer that I've talked to, at least one who grew up in a Southern Baptist setting, um, not far from us. And all of the, yeah, and all of these writers um, were receiving hate mail and death threats death threats from people some of them in the name of their religion while they're Stop. working yeah while they're working on this show it's in one of the interviews that will will ultimately will release soon but he talks about how they were in this office and they were in this space that they didn't want anything to identify what was going on in that space because they were getting death threats and hate mail 
from people in the name of their religion. Oh, Lord. And so you can look like, well, they're attacking the religious people by putting this in this episode. It's like, no, we've been getting attacked yeah. by the religious people. Abs- not exactly. all of them, because not all religion is bad. There no. are just some bad actors in everything and in every religion. But, um, yeah. True. But that story needed to be out there. Mm-hmm. It needed to hit hard. And maybe by the end of the season, I can get back in the church. If <laughs> We'll see. Like, yeah. Maybe I'll give it back. Because yeah. I do my own little work on my own. I don't, I don't, I don't like going there being judged. I'm like, all the eyes on me. And right. then literally the one time me and Brad did actually go to church, he convinced me to go. This is like grown. We end up going to this mega church, which I don't even like mega churches. Mm-hmm. But we end up going to this mega church. And I swear, like no, no joke, it was the exact same thing. We get in there and they talking about how this man was gay for all these years. And now he's married. He up there testifying, looking like Emmett. Testifying, looking like Emmett or whatever the case, and married with kids and stuff. And I, they was like, Yeah, do not tell me that the only way I'm going to heaven is if I'm, I don't know. I just, it was, yeah, I was what? like, See, I look, I literally just turned to look the brave, like, I'm walking out of here. He's like, But they have Starbucks. I don't care about no damn Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I got coins. I can go get my own damn Frappuccino. They don't have the Frappuccinos anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, that definitely requires a whole at least one hour episode yeah. by itself. And so we will we will get there. But for today, we got to move on. So <laughs> Brian is. Con- no, you're good. I definitely it's stuff that. I need to work through a lot of it myself. And so it's definitely a conversation we're going to have with some good input from some other folks, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian is conducting work from Woody's, and that's exactly how I work remotely at the bar, (laughs) just kind of (laughs) wherever. Yeah, He's playing a game of pool with Michael, and Michael is all nervous about the social worker. And Emmett comes over this time with Kent, no Trent. And Emmett is like racking him up, knocking him down. Emmett, he don't give a damn. Right now, he's living his best life, okay? Yeah. Yeah. He's letting that little he light burn. He's getting his okay. groove back. Yeah, it's burning down all of Liberty Avenue. It's burning down Liberty Avenue, okay? Yeah. I noticed, well, this doesn't mean anything, but I noticed that Trent is wearing a shirt that looks like the one Justin wore before. So I guess, like, the extras cycle through their clothes. I don't know. <laughs> um. Anyway, Emmett asks Brian if he can use the loft to get to know Trent a little better, and Brian doesn't even answer him. He's yeah, just looking just looks. at him. <laughs> Emmett knows those looks. Yeah, well, I don't, and neither does Brian know what would make Emmett think that that was a viable option. <laughs> like, I know. When you're desperate, you do desperate things. That's true. I mean, he did let Ted use a lot for his, like, ultimate fantasy, but that was a different situation. And also, oh. Ted is not bringing a guy. Right. No, He's not there. trying to make this regular routine. Yeah. That was just kind of like a one-off thing Brian was doing for a friend, but, but letting him be Brian Kenny for the night, but... Exactly. But we saw you earlier in the episode with grass stains on your knees. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, you out here in these trenches right now, baby. You out here in these trenches. Yeah. He's very desperate. Yeah. <laughs> Brian gets a phone call and there is an issue with the money. Earlier, Cynthia, when Cynthia was in his office, she told him that the money for the end of your ads will be transferred to Heat, which is a magazine. And uh, well, turns out that did not happen. The accountant over at Workshafter or Workshafter himself or whoever did not take care of it, and they're closed until Monday. And so this could cost Brian his one big account. Yeah. No. Nah. Yeah. That's when you get on the phone and you, that's, I don't care if you off, closed to Monday, that's when you get on the phone and, and you act a fool. Yeah. You know, like, you, <laughs> nope, log in now. Yeah, okay? demand some action. Well, Michael reminds him who used to work at Workshafter, or work for Workshafter. Um, so before we go on, in this scene, um, I noticed that Brian kind of checks this guy out, but just like 
he just kind of like looks over at him, but then he goes back to doing what he's doing. He doesn't leave Michael there or leave the table. And it's just so different from, it's probably maybe the guy just wasn't up to par. Or but, Brian has growth. Okay. Yeah. Like he has what he wants. Mm-hmm. He knows where his is at. Yeah. Also, I mean, like, no, no. and he's and with his buddies. He, yeah. We don't really see that side of Brian like that anymore. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, I know he that sprinkles. he's still tricking, yeah. but I, it's just not like his whole life anymore. No. I love how they 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 grew him up. Yeah, you know? and like, they, they showed in these subtle ways without it being like him. No thanks. I have a partner now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you still get essence of Brian, but you don't have all of the sluttiness. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, I don't know if that's a, the right word to use because I well, I guess he was a little bit of a. Yeah. A thought out here in these streets. But, um, yeah, I love the transitions that they're making with him. Yeah, I do too. So according to the script, uh, we go to a different church, and this one is hosting a 12-step meeting there in the basement. And I kind of like that it's two two churches right. and two totally different things going on and how one of them is promoting this. I mean, even if the church isn't sponsoring it, they're letting this thing go on, this 12-step program go on there, where the other one was just like spewing condemnation. Right. And so I like that it, it lets you see these two different so they're not just like, we hate all church. And so, anyway, that might not mean anything to anybody else. But well, it means No, it meant me. a lot to me because that's what church is supposed to be there mm-hmm. for, to help the, um, help the community, yeah. help the people. Yeah, help people know? find healing however they yeah. find it. Yeah. Um, well, Ted is speaking, and he looks great. He's sharing his story with the group, and then all of a sudden, Brian pops up at his shoulder and ruins his whole little speech. It was cute. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the Brian I know. like, my counselor says I need to do this. It was so you adorable. Can't interrupt, you know, can't interrupt my sharing. Hilarious. Well, Brian drags him over to Kinetic, and Ted feels like he's been there before, and maybe dropping to his <laughs> knees might jog his memory, <laughs> is what Brian says. And he tells him about the issue with the money, where Chapter was supposed to transfer $20,000 to Heat, and he wants Ted to find the money and fix the problem. And Ted's like, nope, I don't do numbers anymore. I'm a singer now. And I think he's just doubting himself a bit. Exactly. Um, but Brian, of course, has a pep talk at the ready. It's very inspiring. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he says, One of them usuals. Yeah. He says, you may be a pathetic drug addict who's lost everything. Your dignity, your livelihood, your lover, your good name, the respect and trust of everyone you know. <laughs> but there's still one thing you haven't lost. You're still an accountant. <laughs> yeah, that part. <laughs> Brian does him, give the best pep Yeah, talk. then he tells him, let's live in the solution, not the problem. <laughs> yeah, that part, okay? <laughs> yeah. Brian's going to get what he needs. Mm-hmm. But I love this. Like, yes, Brian is doing this because it's going to benefit him. But Brian knows his friends and he knows Ted. Yeah, it's reverse psychology, really, mm-hmm. is what he just played on Ted. Like, you're you're doubting yourself. Trust me. I believe in you. You know you got this. Let's get it, bro. Yeah. Like, get out um, of there. And I think for Ted, Ted needs to feel useful right mm-hmm. now, I think. Um, like, he's always been that way. And that's even what draws him to the type of men that he's drawn to. He's usually drawn to a project or a broken bird. Like, he, he wants to be needed and useful. Right. Um, he wants someone in his life he can take care of. Or something he can take care of. And so I think that Brian knows that about him. Like, he needs him to get this job done. But mm-hmm. also, I think he knows that about about Ted. Um, but also, when we were watching, I was, I was like, Scott Lowell looks gorgeous in this episode. They cleaned him up. I mean, yeah. I guess they had to put makeup on him. Looking, that make haircut him look is doing wonders for yeah, him. Yeah, it is. Because to see him in season three and to see him now, like, yeah. He literally looked greasy and dirty. Yeah, he looked and, a and, ham. Yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> and now he's back. Like his skin has a glow on it. He looks happy. His eyes are bright again. Yeah, uh, yeah. His haircut. I mean, everything about him just reads like refreshed. Yeah, I love it. 
Um, but what they're doing is probably illegal. Like, depending on what he's actually doing right there. Because he's breaking into someone's account. Yeah, I'm he pretty sure work this, is, uh, this is illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's so cute, and I, I'm here for it. Yeah, and I'm glad Brian was there to, like, you know, give Teddy the little push that he needed, little Theodore the little push that he needed to break out of this self-pity and this wallow and sorrow. Yeah, yeah. So Melanie is over at her office in... One of um, her, the partners, Larry, comes in and he tells her that they've replaced the judge because they had a, a gay-friendly judge, but now they've got this other person who is not a gay-friendly judge. And victory is still possible, Melanie says. Like, but, you know, she's going to have to re-strategize, going to require more work, but we can, still, we can still make it happen. So she's not going to lose hope because of that. Uh, we see Ben, Hunter, and Michael in their home watching a movie. And as the camera pans over, Debbie is also home with them watching a movie. <laughs> and, uh, and it ends and Debbie's like, all right, next one. And Girl. then they all make up stuff to go do. Um, and Debbie's like, okay, well, I'll just sit here and play solitaire. And Girl, Debbie, okay. They don't want to watch Debbie. the movie, but you're going to sit in our house and play cards? Right. Which you can is go a home solo and game? That. Yeah. Girl, get it together. Okay. Get you a, a puppy. <laughs> That's yeah, something yeah. like that, or at least a cat, something. Yeah, yeah. She probably need a cat because yeah, cause she works yeah, in the graveyard. Yeah, she does at the diner, yeah. but yeah. Um. Well, Ben gives Michael the look, like, okay, you gotta. It's time. You gotta say something. And Michael tells her that Uncle Vic and I have been talking. I uh, wouldn't let with that because you just threw Vic under the bus. I know for real. Well, you know he was going to. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't going down by himself. Yeah, he was. I was thinking, <laughs> you know, Uncle Vic and I, when yeah. we were talking, and he's like. You know, we really think that you need to find some things to do on your own and somewhere else. Well, Debbie doesn't take too kindly to that. And maybe there was a nicer way to say it, but I don't think you can be, I don't know. With no, Debbie, you have to be very direct yeah. with Debbie and very stern because you don't. Because she will always find a way to make it. Oh, sweetheart, it's okay. I'll yeah. do the laundry. Oh, sweetheart, it's okay. Yeah. I'll cook. Oh, no, I'll pick them up. She's going to make herself useful for you Yeah. Uh, if you're not direct. So, no, he needed to be direct. I think Debbie needs to wake up. Like, girl, he has grown. You're sitting here with him and his man and their foster child every day Mm -hmm. for hours. They're telling you they have things to do, and you're still trying to stay. Yeah. It's knowing when your welcome is outworn. Right. Yeah. Or worn out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, Ben tries to help by suggesting that she broaden her horizons. I'm like, Ben, you need to stay out of this. I was like, you better be quiet over there. Yeah, you don't want no part of this. She barely likes you. Yeah, well, she's got a suggestion for Ben. He can M-Y-O-B. Yeah, mind your own business. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, I do your laundry. I make your dinner. You should show me some respect. And she goes all dramatic. And because she feels like they're they're kicking her out of their house and out of their life. She's cussing everybody out because she feels disrespected right. and tossed aside. And you She know. should just speak honestly and say, hey, listen, guys, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I know I've been a bit much, but I'm lonely. I haven't been alone in 30-plus yeah. years because she raised Michael and then Vic has been with her for forever and a day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, listen, I'm lonely. I don't know what to do. I'll work on it. But she immediately goes into anger. Right. Yeah. Well, Hunter comes out because he hears him screaming. And then there's a knock on the door, of course. And he, no uh, one looks well, and Hunter's the got on just his underwear again because he was getting ready for, for bed or do his homework or whatever. And so he goes and opens the door. Well, of course, it's the social worker as Debbie and Michael are screaming in each other's face and dropping F-bombs every other word. So just not a great First impression. It seemed like it was nighttime. What social worker's coming over here in the middle of the night? Well, I guess they were trying to pop up. I guess so. You, like, so. Mm, y'all sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all cook? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess they want to catch you at odd times of the oh, day yeah. so you're not expecting them. Yeah. 
But with Debbie and Michael, like, I'm sure they're probably both saying things they will likely regret. And I try not to take sides most of the time in arguments. Sometimes I do. But Michael was right. Yeah, but the, this conversation about boundaries needed to happen. Mm-hmm. But Debbie was caught off guard. But it's like you said, I think Debbie hasn't really given herself time to process her feelings about Vic moving out. Right. And so she just went straight into something else. And then now she's mad at them. It's like, no, really, you're just kind of hurt because Vic moved out right. and moved on. And now you're taking it out on us. Absolutely. But also, I think Michael should have let um, should have let Ben and Hunter leave the room, mm-hmm. and then you have that conversation with your mom alone, right? Not in front of people. No one wants to be embarrassed. You're always going to get some, some. You're always going to have some type of pushback mm-hmm. if you're doing it to create a scene or you're doing it in front of others. You know? Yeah. Well, I think he just wasn't thinking because he's like, "We're all family here," and he wasn't thinking about it and didn't. I mean, he should have expected her to go all volatile, but... Yeah, and then she feels attacked. It's two against one because yeah. I'm talking to you, and then he's chiming in the background like, right. okay, now it's two against one. I'm going to show you what's up. Yeah, so, yeah, that's how things are going with uh, between the Devotnies. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ted is still at Kinetic, and he can't figure out how to hack into Workshafter's system to get the money transferred. And so, yeah, this is straight up illegal what they're doing because he's trying to figure out this man's password. And what kind of horrible security system do they have on this computer? Like, I stay locking myself out of my phone when I accidentally put the wrong code in, like, two or three times. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta wait them extra 15, extra 60 seconds. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, So I don't know what kind of system allows you to put in a million wrong. a million codes, okay? No flag alerts, no nothing. Yeah. Wow. Well, he is running through all the possibilities, and finally he has a light bulb moment, and he's in. And I want to hack into something just so I can say that we're in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Deep in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we get Emmett, and he has yet another little treat with him. And he's this, to slow it down. Yeah, this time he's going to try his luck back at Melanie and Lindsay's place because Ooh. it is raining cats and dogs outside. And so he can't explore his newfound nature kink. So he's got to go back to the girl's house. Well, Emmett keeps shushing him as they're up in the attic. But turns out the guy is a howler. Girl, he's a wolf. Wolf <laughs> yeah, boy. He wakes up the girls and the rest of the neighborhood. And all so, of Pittsburgh hell. Yeah. With that, oh. <laughs> so, okay, so Emmett must have that good good. He threw it back on him. I guess so. <laughs> what, what Juvie say? Um, back that ass up? Emmett, <laughs> Emmett threw that ass back on him. Had him howling, girl. Uh, yeah. Well, back at Kinetic, Ted and Brian, they have done the deed. Not that deed, but uh, they uh, they got the money transfer. It's but so I love funny. this scene. I love the way it's done. Like, Because you transition from Emmett actually doing the deed, and mm-hmm. then you it pans right over to ben, um, to Ted and Brian. Yeah. And well, and they're speaking in these, like, husky <laughs> voices. And, Lighting cigarettes. And, yeah, yeah. And they are kind of laid back on this yeah. couch. And it's, like, it very much has this, like, orgasmic satisfaction yes. of accomplishment. Like, oh, that was good for me. Was it good for you? Yeah. Like, yeah, Brian's like, you were amazing. Or whatever he said. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I love it. Yeah. Ted actually looks more relaxed here than we've seen him in a really long time. He's accomplished something. Yeah. He's happy with himself. Yeah, I was surprised to see him take a drag from Brian's cigarette, though. But he's never right. really been a smoker, so I don't think this is the start of anything. No, but. please don't give me nothing else. I, this <laughs> we can't handle nothing normal. else from Ted right now. God. Yeah. Don't introduce uh, him to nothing else. Yeah, well, Brian does say he was amazing, and Ted says, yeah, I was pretty good, wasn't I? <laughs> and he... <laughs> Yeah, you can tell he's kind of feeling himself because he pulled it off. And um, it was sheer genius is what Brian says. And Ted says it's nothing any other conscientious accountant with the knowledge of the system couldn't have done. And Brian says, yeah, but it was you who did it. And you can keep on doing it starting Monday morning. 
So this is Brian offering Ted a job, a very important job. Jumping for joy. Yeah. Okay, jumping for joy. Mm -hmm. This is the moment we're looking for. This is what you've been looking for, Ted. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, well, Kinetic is Brian's baby. This is very important to him. And so it is a huge compliment to Ted that... Brian wants him in this position mm-hmm. because, I mean, that's what was going to save him. Like, we are, we were going to lose our biggest account and probably lose this whole thing before we even get it started Correct. if we didn't get this done. And so that's a very important position that he needs. Um, and so just to see that he trusts Ted that mm-hmm. much and, and trusts his skills, too. Like, I know You know what you're doing. Exactly. So, yeah, well, Ted never dreamed that Brian, of all people, would ask him to do such a thing. That makes two of them. Yeah. Um, And last episode, we talked about Brian waiting to see how Ted was going to bounce back. And he kind of gave him space to pick himself back up. And I think that Brian can see that Ted has been doing the work. Like, even though he laughed at Ted when he was singing at Rigoletto's. And he straight up ruined his little... He found him in a meeting. Right, exactly. So he sees that Ted is serious about this. He's been taking the steps and doing the work. Uh, and so he know, and he knows that Brian that I'm sorry, and Brian knows that Ted is a really good accountant. And so, yeah, a lot of times when Brian does good for someone else, it's also going to benefit him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the action isn't sincere. True. I don't know. I just feel like, I just feel like in in that moment, and in, in that moment right there, it was one of those things like, Ted, you've been asking for your friends to accept you. You've been asking for your friends to come through you, come for you. He's here. Yeah. You know, like, they're here for you. For Brian asking you to join his baby, mm-hmm. he's here for you. You know, like that should have been a good confidence booster for him. Yeah. Well, Ted says he can't accept it. He says he's not ready. Which I understand, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been thrown back into you. Know, like, right. That's a lot. But one, he left the whole accounting, you know, industry. He said it's been a few years. So he left the accounting industry years, you know, for some years now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we'll say a year. A year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, he left that, then he knows it can be stressful. He has a lot riding on it. You're going to be the main, you know, um, accountant for um, this new company. So, I mean, it's a lot of pressure. I don't think he, I don't think he's, he's ready for the pressure yet. Yeah. And when the last time he was in that field, he was not happy. Right. Exactly. There's that too. And it's probably very important for him to do as many things as he can right now that do do bring him joy and happiness and a sense of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Well, the next morning, Emmett is doing the walk of shame coming into the kitchen with uh, with Lindsay and Gus. His face telling it all, too. Yeah, well, Lindsay is nice about it, but she does say, hey, we had an agreement, and Emmett says that he promises not to do it again. Well, she hopes that he will, just not there. Right. But the solution is simple. He needs to get his own place, and he this is where he says that he's never lived alone. Mm-hmm. Um, when he got to Pittsburgh, he lived with Godiva. Rest yes. in peace. Rest in peace, Godiva. Yep. And then with Michael, then with Ted, and now with the girls. And so I think it is just a scary thing for him to be on your own. But he can do it. I mean, with all the little tricks mm-hmm. he's bringing back, you're never going to be alone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, he definitely can go yeah. out and, and do it. And, yeah, and well, it is time. I think he's always been under some someone's wing or had a safety right. net in some way, you know. And so I think even though he's way, way more independent than he thinks he is, Because this I is believe. his growth. No, he is Right. Now. And so I think that he's way more independent and way more capable than he thinks he is. And so he's always had that added layer of protection by mm-hmm. being with someone else. And so there might be just a little bit of fear right. of stepping out and doing it on your own. And some people just don't like to live on their own. Right. Well, I want to see him step into his own because we've seen so much growth for him with mm-hmm. him starting the whole party planning business, like, you know, all over the place. I think it really stemmed from George. George sparked something different in him. Yeah. It let him see a different type of life. It let him experience real true love. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what he was expecting, but it transitioned into yeah. what it needed to be. It was someone who loved those 
quirky things right. about Emmett instead of just being like, oh, that's Emmett. Oh, right. yeah, he's over there doing that. Like, he really, he believed in Emmett and, mm-hmm. was, like, he treasured all those things that make Emmett who Emmett is. Exactly. You know? So I think you're right about that. But I do think that he needed this nudge from Lindsay. Like, this was just supposed to be a temporary arrangement, him staying with the girls. And then I was like, okay, Emmett, you're getting back to your life now. And the life that, you're, that you've been living the last couple of nights is not really compatible with this setup of you being here at our house. And so if he had his own place, he could come and go and come as he pleases. So Exactly. Yeah. Well, then Melanie has Jeanette and her wife, Anna, in her office. And she's telling them about the new judge, but she is encouraging them to keep hope alive. And she's pulled away by Larry another guy at her firm there, he's telling Melanie that it might be best for her to slide over and let him take the lead on this case because they got this new judge. And he says, I might be able to relate to him better. And Melanie says, yeah, because you're a straight white male. And he lays out the situation. It's like, it's an unfriendly judge with a gay mother. And then you're a pregnant lesbian. It's like, that's going to be kind of hard to get through. Yeah, and even for the jury. Right, yeah. And so he says it'll be risky to have Melanie being the one up front and center in this case. Well, she doesn't want to see the case be taken away by one of the boys because she knows how important this case is. And she's also like, well, I know my clients, it's important for them to have me doing it. But, I mean, it ain't fair and it ain't right, but... Yeah, it ain't fair and it ain't right, but I think he's on to something. Like, yeah. sometimes you gotta... It's like, again... It's like chess. Mm-hmm. You got to play your, you know what I'm saying? You make the best move. Right, and you got to pick your battles. Yeah. So it shouldn't be that way in the world, but unfortunately it is that way she in the world. She wants to be have all the recognition saying that she had this overturned or if the law gets changed, it'll be, you know, named after her or something. You know, uh, one of those types. You can't be selfish, baby. You're doing something right. that's larger than you. That's bigger well, than you. Well, even if you, like, she cares about it so much. Like, she really does. She really is passionate about this and she really wants to make this happen, but it's like, Okay, well, then in that case, you might have to make sacrifices in order for it to happen. Thank you. And and he's here for mm-hmm. it. Like, hey, we're still going to fight. Yeah. But you need to let me take he, over. And he's saying it. And yeah. not in my way, like, you're you're a pregnant lesbian. Get out of the way. Let no. me, you don't know what you're doing. He's like, look, this is just what... And you know, it's a hard conversation for it him is. to have with her. But... And he also reassured her, hey, boo, like, this is your work. This yeah. Is all, everything you're doing. Like, just, you're still going to do it. Yeah. I'm just going to be the one standing up talking to the judge. Mm-hmm. And so, again... I don't like it. It ain't right. It ain't fair. It shouldn't be that way. But you, we live in you, the world we live I was about in. About to say we live in this world, and you got to know how to um, work that system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and if the judge is gonna be that way, he needs you need to fight fire with fire. Yeah. I mean, period. Yeah. Well, Ted is back at Rigoletto's, and he's finishing another performance. And the customers are doing what customers do: demanding and complaining. <laughs> but over <laughs> at one table, there's a group of Golden Girls, and they're having some trouble with their check. Because they didn't tell their server that they needed separate checks, which is helpful to do when you go out to a restaurant. Just, you know, offer that to your server. Or if the server is smart, he would already have everybody separated. That is true. But not everybody is, you know, rock star, like Mm -hmm. the way you train your staff. But anyway, (laughs) um, but now they're wanting to see the manager to get this all sorted. And Ted overhears this and he steps in to help. And he's amazing. He makes conversation while finding out what each person had. And then he mentally tallies up their totals. First of all, Rigoletto's is cheap. That one lady, yeah. she had pasta and a Chianti for less than $14. I know. The wine alone is 14 <laughs> For real. Everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. The wine alone is It's $14. like, do I want a glass of wine or do I want a meal? Yeah, that part. <laughs> decisions, decisions. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, they are all impressed by Ted's magic with the math. And one lady says that he has a nice voice, but he should really be an accountant. And I think a small part of Ted is probably running away from that because it might feel like moving backwards in in some ways because, like we said earlier, he wasn't happy when he was at Worcester's office. 
And I can kind of relate to that. Yeah, uh, he wasn't. But also, I feel like he didn't have any freedom as well. So her saying that can maybe think like, well, maybe this will go around and be different. I'm mm-hmm. working for Brian. I understand him. Right. I, I like him. I know him. You know. Well, and it was a company that that just saw him as a numbers cruncher, right. mm-hmm. not as Ted. An asset. Either. Yeah. And so, and so that can all be different. The environment and the people that you're working with and how they value you, how they see you, and how they want to use your skills, mm-hmm. that can make a huge difference. So, yeah. But anyway, I like we we kind of talked about earlier, I do think that unhappiness and unfulfillment, all of that contributed to Ted's downfall. But I think, and so I think a part of him is wanting to avoid that. But yeah, I think if he just maybe expands his mind a little bit, yeah. it might be all right. Yeah, let him sleep on it. Yeah, because accounting does come natural to him. And every time he's pulled out those skills in this episode, it was to help other people. Right. So. I also wonder if he's got, like, a little bit of, like, fear of failure or fear of success going on. I think everybody kind of deals with that. And right now, his is probably heavy, Mm -hmm. real heavy, because, I mean, he was fired from the accounting job. His own company was snatched from him. And he cannot go back into that field. He can't. That's a no. Yeah. The FBI is going to be on you. Yeah, that's a hard no. And then, you know, we went down this rabbit hole with the drugs and things. So, I mean, and he's starting from the bottom. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a little bit. I think it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Over at Michael and Ben's place, Michael is sure they blew it with the social worker. And Hunter's a little nervous. You can see him kind of like sinking down into the couch. He doesn't want to leave. Right. But Ben is trying to talk everyone down. There's a knock at the door and it's Debbie. (laughs) But she's been torn up about their fight. She hasn't been able to eat all day. She's just not even the mac and cheese at the diner, which is her favorite. I know. I was like, damn, I want some mac and cheese for the diner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, she says that she'll never be able to forgive herself if she ruined their chances of keeping Hunter because... She's come back to herself kind of after this argument. After blowing up on them, she realizes, hey, you know, maybe we should have. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, she knows how she could have cost the whole, you mm-hmm. know, family. So. Yeah. Because of her hurt feelings. She exactly. Yeah. Ruined, ruined this situation for Hunter. But there's another knock at the door and it's the social worker again. And Michael is begging her to give them a chance. He says that he knows that he and Ben could be great foster parents for Hunter. And surprisingly, she agrees. She says that she has a mother and <laughs> she knows how it goes. And she can tell they love each other because of the way that they fight with right. each other. Because real families don't always get along. No, and I mean, real families are going to fight and you're still going to love that person. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Well, and if that was them at their worst, I mean, and Michael trying to, what well, actually he was trying to do something loving for his mom. Mm-hmm. It's just she didn't take it that way. But anyway, so I guess they're going to get a favorable report from this home visit. I mean, that's great news. I mean, Hunter needs that. He couldn't have taken one more change. Right. You know, like a, a house a house shift. He yeah. would have ran away, would have been back on the streets, and he would have converted back all the things they taught him. He would have been back doing those wrong things. So. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he, yeah, I think you're right. He was already so cynical about the whole thing um, and just so kind of over the whole thing. I think this was like kind of like the last, yeah, last little shot. But anyway. Uh, so Brian is working long, hard hours in the steam room at Kinetic. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Ted said, though not in the way he'd like to. Uh, but he's doing the money stuff. He's writing the checks, doing the books, and Ted has dropped by. And at first, Brian's engaged in his in his work. He's, like, not talking to Ted. He's even got his hand up. Kind yeah. Of like talking to you. I think he's a little mad. Uh, he, he's, he's, just a, he's just a little dash of salty, yeah. I think. Um, a little sprinkle. Yeah, because Ted shut him down or turned him down. <laughs> but Ted has reconsidered his offer, and if the opportunity is still available, he'd like to take him up on it. And that gets Brian's attention. But he wants to know why Ted changed his mind. Because anytime someone turns Brian down and then they have a change of heart in mind, 
He wants to test it and he right. wants to know what caused it. Mm-hmm. And for Ted, it was Ida Friedman's 80th birthday party. And also <laughs> he realized that his true calling is to be what he truly is, an accountant. Absolutely. So it was a long winding path to get him to that realization. Kind of made a circle, but, but, but he got we, there. We needed it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, some, you need to be sure. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. In their young 30s, uh, early 30s, Ted might be mid 30s. And so I think he's 33 and the rest of them are like 31 now. Ooh, you know, you know, you can't really do numbers on them past season one. Oh, well, you can't really do. well, I'm only doing what he said. <laughs> yeah. he, in season one, he said he was 33. Yeah, but uh, Brian tells him. Oh, that, well, then he would be, yeah, mid. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah, but Brian tells him that he delivered a lovely testimony. It was AA worthy, accountants anonymous. <laughs> and he also tells Ted that he can start Monday morning. And Ted says he'll be there, boss. And I'm excited for this. I, I'm hella excited for this. Yeah. Because they always had good banter between them two. Uh-huh. And then uh, Brian is a, a genius when it comes to business. And we know that's Ted, Ted's lane. So right. I think it's going to be a good storyline and something positive for him. Yeah. He don't have to be embarrassed because although he was good at singing, clearly he was embarrassed when he saw his friends and things. And then he, he, he'll get out there and do a great ass job on a song. And then as soon as he's over, I'm sorry, I need some bread. I didn't get this. I didn't get yeah. that over there. I mean, it can't be rewarding. Right. And so know? even though it seems like he was just kind of rolling with it that night, after a while, I don't think that was going to do it no, for him. it wasn't. Yeah. It, I think it it'd wasn't. probably be better for him to, you go do your little performances in some community theater or something when you can, when you want to, and have it be your singing be a separate yes, thing. Yes. That's yeah. more like a hobby. You right. Know, and your, your income is not based solely off of that. Yeah. But I'm excited to see this new development in their friendship um, to see where where that goes and how it changes the way they interact with each other mm-hmm. or if it changes that. Uh, and also I think it's good for Brian to surround himself with people who are great at what they do, but also people that he can trust, people he knows, definitely in the key positions in his very new company. Right. Brian tells Theodore that if he messes up, he'll have him murdered. And Ted laughs, but Brian doesn't see the joke or he, the lie. serious. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Baby, I'm letting you know right now, I invested everything into this. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it up if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Well, Justin and Cody are out on the street, and I want them riding in cabs. Like, I don't want them walking down the street uh, together no. at all. It <laughs> like, seems scary. Yeah. Like. They are back out on the straight streets, and they are near a, uh, they're near a club. They see a guy and a girl kissing on the sidewalk, and Cody gets a little gleam in his eye. So. Look, again. Yeah. You. Hey, you yeah. Stop it. Okay. Yeah. Bro. You're causing the problems. It's you. Mm-hmm. Okay? You are the one. <laughs> you're the reason why they're coming over to the area and fighting and shit because you're doing shit now. It's you. Yeah. Well, uh, so Cody links hands with Justin and they walk over next to this couple and then they start doing the same thing. Well, I'm like, my body is like trying to turn away from the scene at, the, at this point, but I know I have to watch right. it. But anyway, uh, so the girl notices them and she says, "Ugh, disgusting. And then the guy calls them freaks. Well, at this point, they kind of are being freak because, like, one use of the word freak is when someone gets very angry and starts yelling or breaking things for little or no reason. And that's kind of what you're right. <laughs> like, Cody's, you're breaking things for no reason. But, I mean, this type of provocation kind of fits that description. But anyway, the guy and the girl move on about their business. They're headed to their car, but Cody and Justin follow them. Why are you following? Yeah, and Cody says, well, maybe him and his fat... Fat bitch. B-word. For one, yeah. you call it... I wish somebody would call Brad a fat bitch. Or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, boy. I mean, those are fighting words. Fighting words. Yeah, and the guy takes the bait, of course, and he turns around and calls Cody a slur yeah. in response. And Justin sucker punches him in the face. Well, and the guy pulls a knife on Justin. Right. 
and Justin backs down, but Cody has a freaking gun pointed at the guy's this head. This man like, is psycho. You done psycho. had that this whole time? That part. Like, don't okay. be out here with no gun with me, and I don't know you got it. I like, know. Can you imagine getting... Get, uh, that? It, oh, my God. For one, Justin, I'm disappointed that you threw the first swing. Yeah. No one was even attacked. Okay? No one was in danger. Right. You guys followed them. Then you then you got a physical? Right. I mean, come on. And you then you made, pull, you made, you made him, him fight you. Or you yes, you made him defend himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you pull a gun out and put it to this yeah. man's temple. Well, I think, again, Justin's kind of like, whoa. And so he's trying to get Cody to back down. And the guy, is he puts it down and he begs Cody to just let them go. He's like, please. And Cody says, don't say please. Say sorry. Say I'm so very sorry. Well, and the guy says it, and then Cody tells them to politely excuse themselves. But And then you can hear sirens because something else must have been going on. But then Cody and Justin, like, run away. They flee the scene, uh, as they should. And Justin is like, where did you get a gun? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, if that would have gone off, you could have killed him. Cody doesn't think it's a big deal. Where he's from, everyone has a handgun, which, and whatever. But the issue is you are out actively looking for a fight, and you are carrying a deadly weapon with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, Cody shows Justin that it's not loaded. I don't care. To, I know, to Justin's relief, but still. That's inciting like, fear. Like, no yeah, one didn't know that. And you can, I, you know, in our state, it's illegal to brandish a weapon right. like that. And then what if that girl had a gun in her purse? And so she saw you pull one on and her man. Firing, and so now she's she, on Justin. Right, because she's trying to defend, you know, defend the two of them. So, like, that could have been horrible. Yeah. Like, you are playing a very dangerous game. Um, well, Justin, they're standing there and Justin's looking at it and he says he's never held a gun and Cody passes it over. His, I noticed that Justin's finger immediately goes to the trigger, which is a big no-no, whether it's loaded or not. Like, no trigger unless you intend to shoot. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's holding he's like, yeah, it's heavier than I thought and it's cold. And Cody says, it'll heat up. And I'm like, don't you be using these lines from the pilot episode on me. Oh, my God. Uh, but... Anyway, you can just, Cody can see the effect of holding such a powerful and dangerous weapon, like the effect that that had on Justin. And he says that the same thing happened to him the first time he held a gun. And then he's like rubbing it all over Justin. Okay. (laughs) As much as I want to hate Cody. (laughs) Y'all, this scene was hot. Y'all can't tell me. (laughs) Listen, yes, he's a scumbag. He is, kind of, I think. We don't know yet. All the way. We're going to flesh him out later. But yeah. But y'all, come on, somebody on this, on, on one of the diners have to agree with me. This was hot. <laughs> it wasn't not hot. Like, it was. It was. Yeah. Next thing you know, he was like, yeah, you want to play with it? Yeah. I'm like, oh, play with what? And then, But I told you, if Ju- I, I could see it in Cody's eyes. Yeah. And I could see that when Justin, Justin did not want to go home. He wanted to be with the posse. I was like, uh-huh. It ain't the posse. It ain't the fighting. You want some new strange. And that's what it is. <laughs> Something about Cody brings like this powerful. It brings this. It, it's something of his his aura. It brings powerful because he's fearless. Yeah, he's not gonna let somebody walk over him. Yeah. Um, he does dangerous things which can be hot. Everybody wants the bad guy. Right. I mean, the, uh, the bad boy. That's what they always want. Nobody wants the goody goody. Mm-hmm. And something about being with him makes Justin feel stronger. It makes and more powerful. makes Justin feel strong and powerful. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when they're in these type of situations after they just confronted someone, and they, it can easily turn to sexual because your adrenaline is popping. You already have like this this little chem- you're attracted to each other. Maybe yeah. not just sexually, but y'all have some type of attraction, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it did turn sexual this time. Yeah, and I was here for it. Like here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have the perfect solution. Debbie needs a project, and Justin needs to not be alone with Cody. Facts. So. 
And Cody also needs someone to manage him a little bit. So let's get Debbie on the Pink Posse. Oh, that's all she needs, for real. <laughs> Yo, Debbie Debbie will be a force on the Pink yeah. Posse, for She'll real. She'll be like, real. no, we're not going to do that, but we're yes. going to do this. Exactly. Yeah. I see where you're going with that, Cody, but... Yeah. Okay. yeah. We're so, going to bring it in. Yeah, the, that's the perfect solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I know that they're not wearing pink anymore. That's what I said. They're and not wearing pink. maybe this wasn't a planned patrol, but I think everything that they do is kind of planned patrol. But I think Cody now wants to go under the radar yeah. because he knows... What he's doing is fucked this yeah. violence, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so he, remember they used to be. We want them to see us. Yeah, coming. we want them to know it's yeah. us. But now it's like, why are you telling people posse business? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. because yeah, because mm-hmm. now because he know now you know because Justin's so naive. Oh, we can't get in trouble. No, bitch, the law's gonna come get you. Y'all just punched a man in his face. Right. You and pulled out a weapon. Yeah. yeah. Like, come on mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Well, for me, I think the link between this and sex is very interesting because you know to a psychology student and want to be sex and relationship therapist like me that whole link is very very uh very interesting well come on dr ishell break us down right quick so let's just just kind of follow me here because this may not make any sense but we're gonna do it anyway um okay so because i'm watching this arc and of course i've seen season four once before and this is my second time watching it and i'm just like oh i'm really trying with this there's a lot about the pink posse that I'm going to talk about probably on the next episode. Okay. But um, I'm just like, okay, what what is Justin getting out of this? Like, he's very smart. He knows this is dangerous and risky. Like, he's even questioning some of the stuff that they do in the episodes. So I'm like, what is he getting out of this? Okay. Right. Let me say this first. I'm not trying to excuse inexcusable behavior. That's not what I'm trying to do. Um, I don't like the disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not going <laughs> to get on Justin's no, ass. Listen. But I'm trying to understand what he could be getting out of this and why he would be doing something like this. So this is me pulling in some science. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. So psychology says when a person re-experiences trauma, and that can be directly or indirectly, mm-hmm. when they re-experience some kind of, kind of trauma, and he re-experienced his because of Darren's bashing. Right. So when a person re-experiences trauma, they are primarily focused on safety and they will hyperfixate on whatever seems to provide that. They look for a safe space. And I think that this feels like a safe space for him. Now, hold on. Stay with me. Okay. So a person who experienced some sort of trauma might be triggered when they experience moments where they don't feel safe emotionally or physically. Like I argue that's part of the reason why their relationship broke down in season two, because Justin didn't feel emotionally secure in um in that relationship with Brian. So he went for something that was a little bit more easier to hold with two hands, you know? Um anyway, so again, a person who experienced some sort of trauma or re-experiences it, they may be constantly thinking there is danger that could be lurking just around any corner. And so they become very vigilant about feeling safe and seeking out things that make them feel secure or strong. And so one way they might do that is by taking back the power from the situations or people that have harmed them. Justin's bashing was a hate crime. It was committed by someone with a lot of, I'm going to say, internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. And Justin didn't even see it coming. It just, it, it literally just lurking around the corner. And so re-experiencing his trauma through Darren's bashing is a reminder that it can happen anywhere at any time from anyone. Anyone can be a threat, basically. And so in that need for safety, I can see him turning to the Pink Posse, a group that says he wants to protect the streets and stop those attacks. So safety for Justin right now looks like being prepared for would-be attackers and being able to fight back or fight them off. Um, and in order to accomplish that, accomplish that, he needs to feel strong. And all the stuff that, that they're doing reinforces that feeling of power and strength in him, which then makes him feel the stronger I am, the more powerful I am, the safer I am. 
And so then that safe, that feeling of safety, that's going to drown out the red flags and say, hey, you're probably having a trauma response right now. And that's why you're doing things that don't really make sense right. for who you are. That's why it seems like you're acting out of character and you're excusing things that you wouldn't normally excuse because he's getting so much positive reinforcement from feeling safe. It's kind of drowning out that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's not really hearing that. It's drowning out things like logic and morality and junk like that. Uh, because it's all about safety, and that is the primary concern of a person who has re-experienced their trauma like Justin has. And so then if power and, con- and control and strength are what he needs to feel safe, he's going to lean into what provides that. And then, so I would bet feeling the power of a deadly weapon is very intoxicating for yeah. someone like him. And uh-huh. then, and so with that, he's feeling stronger. He's feeling more powerful. And so like your your brain goes into its reward cycle at that point. And so you're releasing all kinds of dopamine. I think that's how he gets. I think all of this is like doing it for him. That's why I think it's addictive. Well, Professor Ishell, <laughs> so, I fucks with that. Did any of that make sense to you? It did. It did. It made a lot of sense. And I was about to come up with some rebuttals, but I was like, no, well, no, she she hit that. And I'm like, well, 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 she hit that. <laughs> yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. It does. Uh, I just think he roped up with the wrong person. Oh yeah, for sure. Know? Yeah. Like, again, well, he's not making the right sound road. decisions. Yeah, he's but not. because he, I guess, the primary thing is I feel safe when I do this. Right. And even though he's got his own questions and concerns about it, it's. I'm, but I do feel safe when I do it. I do right. feel secure or stronger or more powerful when I do it. Ah, uh, I'm just scared for him. Like, I know y'all on the right track. You are. You're on the right track. I know track. you're wanting to do a good thing. Yeah. But, ugh. You're, you're missing the marks, baby. Yeah. You're, you're missing them. Oh, Lord. Have mercy. Anyway, that's, that's the, for right now, that's well, then how, how I'm can trying you to. Explain that Justin, how can you explain that Justin knows certain times, like, we shouldn't be doing these things? Yeah. Like, because of the kind of person he is and then just the way that, I mean, he's just not a violent person by nature. He threw the first punch. Well, yeah, now he did because in he needed the upper hand in that situation mm-hmm. against that guy. And so, of course, he threw the, front, the first punch. I mean, that's the whole thing. He's trying to, he wants to be the one in control, the one in power. Mm, got it. Got it. Oh, Lord. Well, I like that, though. That was a good, that was a good breakdown. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was very clear. Again, not trying to excuse inexcusable behavior. But just but a little insight why, of why, why would mind, we see yeah. him all of a sudden doing something like this? Right, because this is totally out of Justin's mm-hmm, character. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have never in my wildest dreams would have. Like Brian said, how you learn to fight. Right. I think I said last week when we was watching the episode, I was like. Um, Justin don't fight? Yeah, just, yeah, I kept saying that. Like, <laughs> Justin don't fight. Justin does not fight. Like, what is going on? Justin does not yeah. fight. And now we see him in the ring training mm-hmm. up. I'm like, okay, Justin fights. Yeah, well, remember <laughs> I talked about it was. I forget where it was. It was during Ben's steroid arc, and I mentioned how Emmett said that he or- originally pitched that for, for um, no, Peter Page said he originally pitched that story arc for Emmett mm-hmm. because maybe Emmett had gotten attacked or something right, like that, right. and so he got on steroids, wanting to beef himself up right. to be able to, to guard against. That so been, it's that yeah, same uh-huh, sort of thing. Yeah. It's that, like this is never going to happen to me again. I'm never going to be blindsided by this again. So I'm going to do everything I can to make people right, stay away from exactly. me or to fight them off if they come mm-hmm. approach me. So the same kind of idea mm-hmm. i get it good job well yeah. that was uh that was 404 yeah, that was 404 now i'm dying to see what's gonna happen with 405 though because the way it ended off yeah. hands were in pants and was struck they were in pants yeah, yeah. and, they and not in had, their own pants no and they both had a look of ecstasy on their face yeah so I, i'm dying to see and i'm dying to see if he's gonna tell brian you know like i mean He's just a trick, but he's more than a trick because a trick is not supposed to be a name. Do you think he should call tell Brian? I definitely think he should tell Brian because Brian tells him when he's tricking. But this dude isn't a trick. This is somebody you know. 
Yeah. You're supposed to have one meeting, not no repeats, you know? You shouldn't have to see the same person, work with them close quarters like that because you're with the posse at all times, mm-hmm. you know? Y'all out at all times of the night. Clearly, you just did this now. You know his name. You're not supposed to know any names. That's almost like a gateway. Like, you know, they say marijuana is a gateway drug. You just had your first puff. Are you going to transition over to something else now? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think he, we me personally, see. just let me look in your eyes. No, nope, <laughs> I will not let you look in my eyes. Well, I can't wait. Four or five <laughs> is going to go down. Like, yeah, I'm super excited for that, though. Well, guys, let us know your comments and your thoughts. And um, let us know if you um, felt what Eshel said in her breakdown, because I thought she had spit up some real shit right there, okay? So, um, yeah, let us hear what you guys think about that. Keep it interactive. Let us know your thoughts, comments. Hit us up. And like we always say, guys, until next time, we are out of here. Bye. Bye.